0: The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified, and they thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, and see that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed from his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witness of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord
1: Christ. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, let's try something. Hallelujah! Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Well done. Good work. Oh, by the way, it still smells like onions up here, so... <laughs> So that's the Paschal greeting, the Easter greeting. It's one that many of us are familiar with. It is not something that is new, rather it's been around since the empty tomb. We read in scripture variations of that response that Jesus is not here for he has risen. But more often than not, when we have that exchange, that call and response, there tends to be a level of energy and excitement and even joy behind it when we say, Alleluia! Christ is risen! Christ is risen indeed! Hallelujah!" But I can't help but wonder what it was like for those who are experiencing the empty tomb in the very present time. And so if we look back on the last three weeks of our readings, there are some things that begin to rise to the surface. If we go back to Easter Sunday, we hear the story of the women coming to the tomb, and they are suddenly terrified because of these men in dazzling white, and they are told that Jesus is not here, for he is risen. And so they go off to tell others And yet the reaction to come was that more of disbelief than belief. And then in the coming day, Jesus appears to the disciples. Last week we heard the story that is often referred to as the story of Doubting Thomas, but I loved how Pastor Strand Patterson retitled that to Rational Thomas. I thought that was very truth-telling, Rational Thomas, And Thomas wouldn't believe either, right? He wouldn't believe until he actually saw Jesus' wounds. And then just before the reading that we heard Clark read just moments ago is the story of the road to Emmaus. And again, Jesus appears to the disciples. But they're terrified. They're afraid. They don't recognize who he is. And then we come to our reading from today. And once again, Jesus appears to the disciples and says, Peace be with you. And they're what? They're terrified. They're afraid. Jesus even asks them, Why do you have doubt in your hearts? And so right here in the middle of the greatest single event in all of history, The empty tomb, the risen Lord happening just as promised, doubt appears. Doubt is present in that most joyous and exciting of occasions. For so long, we hear the language of doubt and faith, and we assume that one is good. Faith, right? One is bad, doubt. I'm just going to get rid of all the doubt and have all the faith. And then all will be just fine. We have that sense. And yet, the truth of the matter is that faith and doubt can live together, they can coexist with one another. That faith and doubt are not mutually exclusive. That one can have faith even in the midst of doubt. And so, if there was no need for doubt, if there wasn't supposed to be doubt present in our lives, those questions that we may find ourselves asking, well then I suppose we could simply get rid of the book of Psalms. Psalms that are filled with questions. Psalms that are filled with doubt as to who is God. So one of my favorite theologians, his name is Paul Tillich, He was an early 20th century philosopher uh, and theologian. And this is what he wrote about doubt. Doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It's an element of faith. Sometimes I think it's my mission to bring faith to the faithless and doubt to the faithful. So in these last readings, where Jesus appears to the disciples and there is doubt that is present, the one thing that continues to be constant in all of that is even when there is doubt, Jesus still shows up. That Jesus is still fully present. That Jesus comes with arms extended and says, Peace be with you. Jesus shows up and allows Thomas to see his wounds. He shows up again today and those who are there see his wounds once again. And he shows up today and has perhaps the greatest shore lunch ever. Broiled fish. And if you think about our own lives, your own lives, that there are, I am sure, have been moments in that time where doubt has worked its way in, in the midst of great pain and suffering and loss, in brokenness, the end of a relationship, struggling through work and employment. The challenges that arise where we too find ourselves asking questions about God and who God is. But today I want to tell you that you are not alone. That doubt is indeed an element of faith and it's okay. It's okay. You are not alone in that. There have been, after all, great men and women of faith for centuries on end who have also been people who have found themselves in that very place of doubt. They can truly coexist. So, when I was about eight years old, I had this whole faith thing figured out. Anyone else? I would come up for the children's messages. I had all the right responses. Whenever the pastor would ask the question, I wasn't shy. I'd raise my hand and answer very proudly. I had the whole faith thing figured out. Until I didn't. As years went on, I found myself having more questions, right? Getting older. I left for college, and I ended up having a professor in college who was a religion prof. He was absolutely fantastic. I loved him immensely. And so I just continued to take classes from him. And one of the courses that I took from him was on the history of religions, comparative religions, and I found myself feeling like I came head-to-head with a Mack truck. I found myself in his office, and I went there and I asked him, I said, Professor Hansen, I don't know what's going on. I thought I had most of this stuff figured out. And boy, this is hard. I don't know what I believe. I'm, I'm struggling. And Professor Hansen was maybe a little bit shorter than me. He had this big head of white hair, but it was receding in the front. But it was kind of like that Albert Einstein look. He puts his hands behind his head, he leans back in his chair, and he gets this big grin on his face, and he says, Ah, yes, Mark, what you are experiencing is called learning. You're experiencing growth for the soul. That had a profound impact on me as I thought about faith and doubt And the truth of the matter is that they do coexist. That doubt is an element of faith. And it's okay. So my hope and prayer for you is in the days and weeks and months to come that you fully understand and grasp God's love for you. And that know that God's love can reach out far beyond the doubts that you may find yourself having. And when you do, to know that you're not alone and to remember the love that God has for you and has for us all. Let it be so. Amen.